Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Johnny Tan, author of From My Mama's Kitchen, Food for the Soul, Recipes for Living. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio Show. My guest for this morning is Amy Newmark, the Publisher and Editor-in-Chief for Chicken Soup for the Soul. Amy and I will be having a wonderful conversation about their latest release, Chicken Soup for the Soul, My Amazing Mom, a collection of 101 stories of love and appreciation honoring mothers around the world for their unconditional love. Good morning, Amy. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. How are you doing this morning? I am good. Thanks for having me on again. I'm happy that it's supposed to be the beginning of spring, even though it's been pretty cold and snowy in Connecticut in the last couple of weeks. I think we had a huge snowstorm, like, on the first day of spring. (laughs) Very interesting. Here in Dallas, Texas, we are experiencing spring, and it is wonderful out there. So, It is a pleasure to have you come on and talk about moms. I am so excited talking about love and appreciation for our mothers. Every year you guys do books about mothers. Why is books about mothers so popular for Chicken Soup for the Soul? I think that people don't know how to express their appreciation to their mothers. Mm -hmm. And so they give their mothers cards that say things that maybe they don't feel comfortable saying. And they give their mothers Chicken Soup for the Soul books because the books are filled with stories that say what the gift giver maybe doesn't say enough or has trouble saying. And so we know a lot of women will buy the book for their husbands to give to their mothers. You know, So these are bought by wives for their mothers-in-law. Mm-hmm. And It's just even for women, it's hard to always express your appreciation to your mother. So this is a very easy way to tell your mom or your grandmother or your stepmother or your mother-in-law that you love her. And we have stories in here about mothers, grandmothers, stepmothers, mothers-in-law, every kind of mother. Um, It's it's just how we how we show appreciation and then the other reason i think these books are popular is that being a mother myself of grown children mm-hmm. and now actually i'm a grandmother as well mothers go through life working really hard raising their kids and you never really know if your kids appreciate you or not and so it's nice for a mother to read these stories and read all these kids mostly grown kids now talking about, hey, yeah, I was kind of awful when I was a teenager, but I really did absorb those lessons. It was worth mom, you know, soldiering on and telling Mm -hmm. me those things because Mm -hmm. it worked and I'm really thankful to my mother now or I'm thankful to my grandmother. And so for a mom who just wants to be encouraged, it's a great book to pick up because she'll read all of these stories and she'll think, all right, my 12-year-old daughter is starting to get a little difficult. But in eight years, she's going to be appreciating me. I can tell because of these stories. Mm-hmm. That's very interesting. I'm glad you brought up in the very beginning about the fact that it's very difficult for us to express those feelings, especially for guys. And I remember the fact that that happened to me as well in terms of I was never comfortable to say something nice. So I'm glad you brought that up because it is true that this book really helps to kind of break the ice and be more comfortable in putting the right words in the right context. Yeah, or a husband could give this to his wife and say, you know, honey, I really appreciate what you're doing raising our children, but it's a way to hand somebody a book. The title of the book is Chicken Soup for the Soul, My Amazing Mom. And so you can hand it to your mom or your grandmother and say, (laughs) this book reflects how I feel. And that's a more comfortable way of saying it. And so that's why we put that title on it. And you mentioned men. And before we started today, you had said to me, were there a large number of men in this book? And I said, I don't think so. But then I just went and counted. And I think there's something like 18 stories in the book from men of the 101. That that doesn't (laughs) sound like a lot. But in fact, in the world of people writing personal revealing stories about how they feel, having 18 Mm -hmm. stories out of 101 from men is actually a lot. 
And so I think that is encouraging that we had so mm-hmm. many men who were able to reflect and then express their feelings. And I think it's because men are being told more and more now that mm-hmm. they're allowed to do that. It's okay to have those feelings and to express them. We appreciate that. And so putting those words in writing is a way, in fact, a lot of the stories that the men contributed to the book were stories, or one man, even a poem, in which they said, I haven't been able to tell you this before, but here's how I feel. So they put it in writing, Mm -hmm. and now Mm -hmm. they're handing the book to their mothers, you know, and their mothers are going to start crying when they read the stories. Right. I'm so glad you brought it up. It is totally cool when I read all this men talking about their moms. It's like, I'm feeling like, wait a minute now, I used to do that. The spotlight is no longer on me. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, the other men have caught up to you, Johnny. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> Were there challenges in picking the 101 stories? Yeah, because what happened with this was that we actually put out another wonderful book last year called Chicken mm-hmm. Soup for the Soul, Best Mom Ever. And we had had stories submitted in 2016 mm-hmm. for the Best Mom Ever book. Well, we had so many incredible stories that when I was given the semifinalists to read, you know, I was given hundreds mm-hmm. of semifinalist stories to read, maybe 500 or 600 out of, you know, 6,000 that were submitted. Wow. I ended up, they were so good, I ended up making chapters. I, was, I remember I was in my kitchen and I was making them on the kitchen table and on a kitchen mm-hmm. counter, and I had piles of chapters everywhere And then I realized I had made 20 chapters instead of 10 chapters. I had twice as many stories as I needed for the Best Mom Ever book, and I couldn't part with any of them. And so I said, you know what? I'm just going to make the chapters right now for our 2018 Mm -hmm. Mother's Day book. And so these stories were the other 10 chapters because I was just overwhelmed by how great the stories were. And I I think that these books are the best Mother's Day books we've ever put out. This one, My mm-hmm. Amazing Mom, and, and then the one last year, Best Mom Ever. I think it's because we get so many more submissions now than we used to. I mean, we are <laughs> overwhelmed with submissions. I've had to hire extra people to read all the stories that come in because we do read every single story that's submitted. And this is happening to us more and more now where we're getting – 6,000 stories and we're getting 200 great ones and we're making two books instead of one book. Yeah, we have a book coming out in August called Chicken Soup for the Soul, The Power of Yes. And that Mm -hmm. book contains all the excess great stories from our Step Outside Your Comfort Zone book that came out Mm -hmm. in fall 2017. So that was another case where we made two books out of one call out for stories. Mm-hmm. Um, people mm-hmm. are doing a great job, and we're also getting more men, as you pointed out. We're also getting a wider range of ages. We're getting younger and younger writers, and I don't mean children. I mean younger within the adult world, you know, 20s and 30-somethings. And we're getting people from all walks of life. Our Our base of stories is really expanding and diversifying. So I'm thrilled by that because I feel like with these books now, we're introducing people to people they never would have met otherwise. I mean, here I am sitting in Connecticut, and I know people <laughs> in New York and New Jersey and Connecticut and Massachusetts, and I know people in my little world. But now I feel because I read these stories from all over the U.S. and Canada, from the South, the North, the West, mm-hmm. people who are religious, people who are not religious, people of all belief systems, all cultures, that I'm meeting all these people I wouldn't otherwise have met. So it's really fascinating. You get to meet everybody in these pages and hear their stories. And, of course, in a book about mothers, you realize mm-hmm. how everybody is the same. We all express <laughs> the same feelings about our mothers, and we have the same experiences growing up. I love the title because My Amazing Mom, that's something you don't tell your mom. But once it's written down in the book, like you say, it's like, yeah, that's what I meant. Kind of thing. I'm, I'm well, looking at it thing. from that perspective. I know. Yeah. You know, if you go on, if you go to a card store and you buy a fancy Mother's Day card, it might cost you four dollars, four fifty. Mm-hmm. You can get My Amazing Mom 
you know, at Walmart, on Amazon, on BN.com, you know, all over the place for not much more than twice that. And you're getting a book that, you Mm -hmm. know, the mother or grandmother will be able to keep forever and will have, you know, many days of reading enjoyment from. So it is a pretty good way to celebrate Mother's Day. It is. And what I like about it, too, is that you can actually scan through the stories if this is a gift. And you can say, Mom, I just want you to read Chapter 4, Story 6, for example. That's really cool because someone else had kind of put your thoughts and your appreciation in words for you. You're right. That's a great way to use the book. And the chapter titles um, really do guide you so that you can do that because, Mm -hmm. you know, we have chapter one is just what I needed. So it's about mothers or mothers-in-law or grandmothers, you know, showing up just when somebody really needed them. And then lasting lessons is chapter two. And that's all those lessons our mothers or grandmothers imparted to us that we might have pretended we weren't listening to, but they really stuck. And then chapter three is about those, you know, spunky, unusual mothers. And chapter three is called (laughs) What a Character. And chapter four is really cool. It's recipes for life. And it's about something that I know is near and dear to your heart. It's about the fact that mothers often have trouble expressing their feelings towards their children Mm -hmm. as well. and They do it through food. And so in this chapter, we have stories that reveal that it's not really the food. There's always a really good backstory to that favorite meal or that amazing, you know, family tradition, that meal that you always remember. And then chapter five is my role model about all of those mothers who we really end up modeling ourselves after, even if we didn't admit that to them or ourselves when we were teenagers. <laughs> Chapter 6 is called The Sacrifices She Made, and as children recognizing that their mothers did make sacrifices. Chapter 7 is special memories and some really cool stories in there um, that people might relate to, including stories about daughters, grown daughters now saying, you know, I resisted so much what my mother wanted me to do, and now I'm doing exactly what she said. I've copied my mother. <laughs> and then Chapter 8 is all about thanking mom. It's called Thanks, Mom. And Chapter 9 is about mostly about moms who have passed on and the lasting legacy that they have left. Mm-hmm. And that's a very emotional chapter, but I think very comforting because most of us, if we're giving a book to a mom, well, she lost her mom, perhaps, or she's going to lose right. her mom. And so that chapter is very relevant to the moms because they mm-hmm. might have lost theirs already or they know that the, that day is coming. It's so true. How emotional were you when you were editing this book? I know it is a personal connection with you as well. Well, yeah, because in addition to being a mom, I had a very unusual circumstance of timing. And so... When we made the first book, the one I talked about, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, which that was done with the first batch of stories from this, um, which was our Chicken Soup for the Soul Best Mom Ever book last year. Ironically, the timing of doing a Mother's Day book is that in late December, I start editing the stories. You know, I've already selected them, but then I finally sit down and start editing the manuscript. And and so the last year's book, I started editing on December 28th. 2016, sitting by my mother's bed in the hospital where she had been rushed in an ambulance, and she was deathly ill. And I continued editing the book while she was in the hospital because I had no choice, because the book had to go to the printer. And so I sat by my mother's bed as she was dying and edited this book, Best Mom Ever. So That was a very emotional experience. And then, of course, since the timing on Mother's Day is the same every year, Mm -hmm. this year, when I sat down to edit the stories in My Amazing Mom, well, it was was the one-year anniversary of her being in the hospital, and then it was the one-year anniversary of her death, and then it was the one-year anniversary of her funeral. And so I was finishing up that awful year of the first anniversary of everything, you know, that year of the first... You know, my first birthday without her, her first birthday without her, you know, the first Mother's Day without her, the first Thanksgiving without her, the first Christmas, all of those firsts. 
And I finished writing this book on the first anniversary of her funeral. Um, And so that was the day I completed the introduction to the book. So it was very meaningful. I have to say that after I finished the year of firsts, I felt a lot better. There really is something to getting past that year of firsts. But one of the things I talked about in the introduction is there was a guy who who was following me on Twitter, and I read this tweet from him that was amazing. He said that his father died, and and James's sister said to him um, after their father died, she said, I feel his absence, but feel his presence more. And I thought, wow, that is so true, because you really do feel the presence of your parent who you've lost maybe even more than when they were alive because now they're not over there in that house they used to live in that's 20 miles away from you or 100 miles away from you. Now they're just living right inside you, like they're, they're mm-hmm. right with you. And um, and then the other thing that I thought was really interesting was that there's a story that I included in this book, um, and it's by um, this woman. I can't even pronounce her name. It's something like Shoshiel, and then her last name is Dixon, so her mom died, and her mom had always um, had her mom had always provided coats and gloves and hats to poor children in her classroom who couldn't, you know, whose families couldn't afford them. So mm-hmm. her mom was a teaching assistant. She didn't make a lot of money, but she could equip a few of her students each winter with the outerwear that their families couldn't afford. And so, for her mom's service, Shoshiel decided that they would ask all of the people coming to bring coats and hats and gloves for the students at her mother's school. And they brought hundreds of them. And I, and I had this realization. I said, this is really symbolic of all our mothers because they are like the symbolic providers of the coats and hats and gloves that we need as we navigate mm-hmm. life. You know, they provide us with what I would call the emotional outerwear, you right. know, that we need as we, leave our homes and we interact with the world. And so I thought that was very symbolic of what our mothers do for us. So it was actually a very good experience for me writing that introduction. And I think if anybody has lost a parent recently, that the introduction to the book might help them with their grieving process. It was wonderfully written from the heart. I certainly understand where you're coming from, that perspective, the connection. And you're right in terms of uh, our mothers closest to us now, the fact that they're no longer here with us physically. I would tell you it's true because every time when we do certain things that they taught us to do, we are reliving that connection. Right. And your mom used to be far away from you in Malaysia. Mm -hmm. And there you are in Texas. And then when she died, I bet all of a sudden she wasn't in Malaysia anymore. She was right there with you. Yeah, yeah. Right? It's so because true. now your relationship yeah. with her is, is independent of geography. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So true. What would you like for the readers to gain from reading My Amazing Mom? I want all those mothers and grandmothers to feel, okay, the kids were listening to me, and <laughs> they did appreciate me. And it, it has, it's all worth it, whether the mothers are still in the trenches and they're raising kids or whether mm-hmm. they have grown children now. I want them to feel like, yep, the kids were listening. I made a difference, and they really do appreciate me. So true. Can this book help repair estranged relationships children have with their moms? Oh, definitely, because there are stories in the book where people do that. And also just the act of handing this book to a mother or mailing it to her, sending it to her via Amazon or barnesandnoble.com, it's a way to reach out and say, hello, I do think you're amazing and I am very grateful. I mean, the subtitle of the book is 101 Stories of Love and Appreciation. You can't give your mom anything. I mean, that's like your mom's top two items on her wish list, right? Love and appreciation. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So true. And let the book do the talking. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Why not? I mean, that's why I made it. I made it so that you could hand it to your mother and let the book do the talking. Absolutely. (laughs) 
By the way, you're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio Show. Our podcasts are available on Apple's iTunes, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, and TuneIn Radio. I'm Johnny Tan, your host, and my guest for this morning is Amy Newmark, the publisher and editor-in-chief for Chicken Soup for the Soul. We're having a wonderful conversation about their latest release, Chicken Soup for the Soul, My Amazing Mom, a collection of 101 stories of love, and appreciation honoring mothers around the world for their unconditional love. Amy, let's talk about some of the stories. Let's start off with chapter one. Love this chapter, just what I needed. And the very first story itself is just terrific. And I have to say, it's from a guy. And the title of the story is Peggy Senior. The author is Timothy Freeman. Yeah, so um, he actually called his mother-in-law Peggy Senior, and then he called his um, wife Peggy Jr. I guess they both were named Peggy. Mm-hmm. And so the interesting thing is that I have read this story so many times, and it made me it made me cry the first time I read it. It made me cry the second time. Mm-hmm. It made me cry the tenth time I read it. I just think this is an amazing story. So Timothy Freeman tells us that he was in the hospital. Um, his mother was not doing well. His mother-in-law had joined him there, and she was saying goodbye to Timothy's mother. And Timothy had been married to Peggy Jr. for 12 years, <laughs> and um, he realized how much Peggy Sr., his mother-in-law, really loved him when she was there supporting him and being there as his mom was dying. And then his mom died shortly after that final visit, and a couple of weeks later, they were standing in his in-laws' driveway, and they had, you know, just had dinner there. And Peggy Senior came over to Timothy and said, "I need to tell you something. I would never, ever pretend to take the place of your mother, but I want to make sure you know how much we both love you. I know you miss her, but you're not alone. You've still got a mom when you need one." And Timothy just broke into tears, and I'm holding them back right now because I thought that was so incredibly sweet. And so he says, mothers-in-law have long been used as punchlines of jokes, and they're, you know, there's a cliche <laughs> about evil mothers-in-law, but mothers-in-law are actually quite amazing. And so I, that's why I love this story. I love it, too, because it just tells you that you can receive unconditional love from just about anyone, of course, in this case, it's within the family, the mother-in-law, if you allow yourself to be loved from that perspective. Yeah, you know, people are very nurturing. Mm -hmm. And I know we're going to talk about some more stories where people are very nurturing, even when they're not direct family members. But there is this nurturing tendency, I think, in all women. I mean, You'll see women, you could be sitting in the food court at the mall and a woman will start nurturing a little boy who's running nearby who she doesn't even know. But we we try to mother everybody. <laughs> I love it. Well, the second story in the same chapter is terrific as well. Dear Mothers by Audrey White. Yeah, we always get a lot of stories from uh, women and men who are thanking their birth mothers for having given birth to them and then selflessly given them up. And so this woman, Audrey, writes a letter to her birth mother and says, you gave me life when you didn't, when you didn't have to. You carried me, nurtured me, nourished me inside. Then you let me go. Then she writes a letter to her adoptive mother and says, dear mother, you longed for me. I was a dream in your heart that couldn't come true. So she thanks her adoptive mother for going through the process and getting her. And then she writes to her mother-in-law and says, you embraced me when I married your only son. You took me in as your own daughter, even though you had two others. And so she points out all these different kinds of mothers in her own life. I love the story because this is the kind of story that I would, let my birth mother read just like that because I've never really told her that and because we never acknowledge to each other that mother-son kind of thing and I don't say that I regret it or anything like that but 
this would have been perfect for her to know that I appreciate the fact that she carried me for nine months and gave birth to me without anything wrong with me. Right. And then the passing of the baton, basically, my adopted mom took over and raised me. Yeah, from and that it's, perspective. it's hard work being pregnant. And, so, and you have to really take care of that baby and do a good job. Mm-hmm. And so carrying a baby for nine months, knowing you're going to be passing that baby on to another woman who you think will be better suited to be the mother for that child, it's a very selfless thing to do. And you're right. Everybody's very grateful to their birth mothers for having done that. Yeah. And I never really thought about that in depth until I read this particular story, simply because, like I said, I don't know, maybe I was too young then. You have a different sense of appreciation or focus or something. As you get older, you start to realize like exactly what you were talking about is the concept of knowing that, well, when this child comes out, he's no longer mine. I just can't imagine what one goes through in making that kind of decision. Well, I think that the birth mothers always feel the child is theirs for the rest of their lives. I'm sure they think every day about those children. Mm -hmm. They just know that they gave them to somebody who will do a great job raising them. But the birth mothers who are reunited with their, you know, with their children always Mm -hmm say that they've thought about them every single day. But I think because you're a guy, it's hard for you to really appreciate what it's like <laughs> to have a, gigant, a, gigant, a gigantic basketball in your stomach and then look down and say, how is this going to possibly come out? You know, you haven't had to yeah. deal with that. Yeah. And you're right. You're totally right. And the good news is the fact that she was in my life whenever we had a get-together. Even when I was in the United States, she was told the times that I came home, my mom told her to come by the house and visit and so forth. I knew that she was my mom, and we never acknowledged to each other, but I've always been respectful. And in the Asian culture, we always give someone elder a little money. It's a gift kind of thing. I've always done that. So in terms of what you just said, the sense of appreciation and knowing that my son is okay. And I think that's the reward in itself, I guess, from a feeling standpoint of view, knowing that, thank goodness, my son is doing okay. So you didn't actually ever say to each other that you knew? No. She didn't no, know no. for sure that you knew? You just, so it, she was like a friend of the family instead of you actually knowing? Yeah. Instead of you yeah. saying, oh, oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah Never acknowledged. Well, that's nice, though, that your mother kept her in your family as, as a family friend. That's, that was yeah. very nice. And that's the important thing because she kept track of my schedule, right? So she knows what I'm doing and so forth. So she kept my birth mom abreast of what the situation is and always invited her whenever I am in Malaysia. That is really, that's really neat. Yeah, yeah. The third story in this chapter, My Mother, My Teacher by David Bishop. Yeah, so David was in a school district that was really small and so they didn't really have the ability to put him in a second grade classroom where his, where his mother wasn't the second grade teacher. And so he had his mother as his teacher. And so he couldn't go home at the end of the day and not tell his mom something that happened at school because she saw it. But he said he didn't really mind because she was such a wonderful teacher. And he's, he really credits her with giving him um, a love for books, reading them and then later writing them and he said it's such a central component of his life and and he said even when she was on her deathbed she would be helping him with his writing um and checking his work you know so she never stopped mm-hmm. being mm-hmm. his teacher and she said he set such a she set such a great example for him about first of all you know adhering to his writing and his reading but also in putting others first even as she was dying and so, I mean, I guess all of our mothers are our teachers, but in his case, he's, he really appreciated it because she was officially his teacher. It's a beautiful story. I chose that story quite for the opposite side of the equation because I remember as young as I was when we were going to kindergarten, I did not want my mom to be anywhere around me when it comes to other people. It's like you're cramping my style here. It was funny because I don't know how I would have reacted if my mom was my teacher in the class. I mean, I was like, no, this can't happen. (laughs) 
he might have felt that way and then tempered his view in time. <laughs> Chapter two, lasting lessons. She ironed underwear. Again, from another guy at Vendemuck. Yeah, so this chapter has, you know, big deal important lessons and then those everyday lessons like how to iron. And so Ed says that his mom loved housekeeping and she loved ironing. She ironed everything. She ironed the sheets. She ironed the tablecloths. She ironed handkerchiefs and she even ironed underwear. And so when he went off to college, it turned out that he had this skill that no one else had. And even the girls were asking him for lessons in how to iron. And so he was just grateful that even though he resented the fact that she forced him to iron things growing up, it turned out to be a wonderful skill and I guess a really good way to meet girls, too. <laughs> Besides joining home economics. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I chose this story because it rang true to me. I learned how to iron from my mom. She irons everything. Let me put this in. Let me back it up a little bit. In Malaysia, everything is starched. So you could actually pull my pants and shorts up, like so stiff. And the reason why she did that, because apparently when you have a lot of starch in the pants, you can't dirty it as much. Oh, it's like Go having figure. scotch guard over it or something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The dirt will like, fall off oh it. My. Right. <laughs> So I learned how to iron from her, especially men's shirt, because it's very difficult to iron. You have the sleeves, that is. It was quite interesting. That's why I chose that story. <laughs> and, you know, I was reading that story again today before this interview, and all of a sudden I remembered a chore that I hated. My mother used to make me iron, uh-huh. and I would iron my father's shirts of course, I ironed my own stuff, but she would make me iron my father's shirts. I also had to iron my father's handkerchiefs, and I had to starch them with that spray yeah. starch. Yeah, and yeah, I remember yeah. thinking, why doesn't he just use Kleenex? Why does he have to use <laughs> handkerchiefs? But, you know, he's from the generation that uses handkerchiefs. Right, but I remembered right. all of a sudden, oh, my gosh, I had to do all that ironing. I remember in high school doing all these chores, and one of them was go and do the ironing, Amy. Right. Well, the second story in this chapter that I really like is The 33 Things My Mother Taught Me by Kesha Phillips. I thought this was really cool. Yeah, so she had a list of all these neat things that her mother um, taught her, and so she lists all of them. And, you know, some of them are little handy tricks, like one of them is uh, keep a roll of paper towels in your car. That's actually that's actually a really good idea. Um, and then some are more like life management skills, like weighing out your options will write down the pros and cons. And Keisha says it may <laughs> seem cheesy, but it works. And then some of them are really, you know, important things for how you create traditions. And so her mother, mm-hmm. you know, one of her tips was traditions are a wonderful thing and you should definitely create them because they allow you to create you know, memories that your children will carry for a lifetime. And then, you know, a lot of other things like clean up as you go when you're cooking. I know that's a great one because if you're cooking and you're not cleaning as you go, then when you sit down to have the meal, you're sitting in a dirty kitchen. I always clean as I go. I love sitting down and knowing that everything is already in the dishwasher, ready to go. So she has a bunch of different skills here from little tiny things like keep wet wipes in your purse to big Mm -hmm. things like don't be afraid to stand up for what's right. It's a beautiful story in the sense that when we're growing up, we don't think much about it. As we get older, those are all practical living recipes that are just perfect for any situation. And that's the beauty of this particular story. Chapter three, what a character. This is interesting. The first story is The Lab Coat by Sadiq Shahinan. Yes, his son, Deep, um, I think he's Indian. I mean, he's American, mm-hmm. but he, this, I think this happened in India where he lived for part of his childhood. And um, he, he wore this you know, lab coat at school for chemistry class. And so he wore it for a year, and so it was covered with chemicals and spills and when things blew up, you know, all that stuff that happens in high school chemistry. 
And one day his locker door jammed, and so he couldn't put his lab coat back in his locker at the end of the school day. So he had to bring it home. And when his mother saw it, she was appalled. And they already had a running disagreement over when things should get laundered because his mother wanted to wash his clothes all the time. And and uh, Sandeep wanted to wear them until, you know, they were crackling with dirt. So she grabbed his lab coat and she washed it and bleached it and, you know, got it back as close as she could to white again. But the only problem was that it turned out that this lab coat had basically been held together by all the dirt. So when she got all the dirt off it, the whole bottom half of the coat was in tatters just like hanging there. There were holes all over the place. All of these things that had been covered up by the crusty chemicals on it were now gone. And so he had this raggedy old coat and he brought it back to school the next day. And he went to chemistry class and he put on his coat and the boy at the next table looked over at him and smiled and said, you couldn't make it past your mom, could you? (laughs) It's a beautiful, wonderful story. For me, I just remembered when I was in high school in India and in Malaysia, we were under the British system. So our chemistry lab, our biology lab, and our physics labs are all separate. And we have coats and we do that. And so this is really funny from that perspective, strictly from remembering the time that I was in chemistry class and so forth. The next story, this is really cool. My mother... The Pistol by Ava Carter in the same chapter. What a character. So Ava's another immigrant. She came to the U.S. from Czechoslovakia, and um, and she actually lives near you. She lives in the Dallas area. Um, but she talks about how her mother was so inconsistent. So her mother didn't have a lot of money, um, but she and she was always scrounging around like if they were playing cards or something her mother would cheat and like get a little extra money at the table or if somebody dropped a quarter her mom would grab it and say no no it's mine and so she would do all that but on the other hand if she saw someone in need she would just open up her wallet and start handing out the dollar bills like one time Eva had dropped off her mom at the entrance to the grocery store and then Eva was going to park the car well, while she was parking the car and walking back to the entrance, her mom had come across this homeless guy and was handing him dollar bills. And and then her mom looked at the man and said, you know what, you need to buy yourself a decent shirt. And she handed him even more money. And so Eva said she had this crazy thing where her mom would be scrounging for quarters and then giving away dollars. One time her mom actually brought a guy home who she had just seen on the road. And Mm -hmm. Eva walked into her kitchen and said, wait, why is this man in the kitchen fixing something? And her mom said, he's your new handyman. Well, it turned out her mom was a pretty good judge of character because that man, Alfredo, was their handyman for the next 10 years. (laughs) I remember growing up and you run into people like that. You kind of wonder why they are, I don't know, devious would be the word. And yet there's so much richness in their character. And when you look at certain situations, it draws the best out of them. I've got an aunt that at least characterized like Ava's mom. But then she has this beautiful soul when it comes to people that are less fortunate. Exactly that you were talking about. Because we have a lot of, I guess, homeless people, like beggars on the street. I don't know whether you've been to Asia. Well, maybe not now, but back then, there were a lot of them on the streets. This is very interesting to see someone quite the opposite side of the spectrum, so to speak, like, here I'm doing different things, and then when it comes to the heart, I'm reacting totally different. So that's the beautiful story, and I wanted to highlight that. Yeah, I agree. And Ava is one of our um, most prolific contributors. She's in a lot of our books. She has a seemingly unlimited supply of great stories. (laughs) Chapter 4, Recipes for Life. Wonderful story, Reconnecting by Angelina Shepard. So this is a common theme, and uh, what we find is that people 
find their mother's recipes or, you know, like the little cards they've scrawled on or recipes they've torn out of magazines or whatever, and then they gather them all up and they start cooking those meals to honor their moms. And Angelina got that idea because her mom died, and Angelina went to get a chicken soup for the soul book to help her through her grieving, and she bought a book that I am actually the co-author of called Chicken Soup for the Soul, Grieving and Recovery, which uh, I'm very proud of that book. It's really very helpful for people. And so she got the idea from that of gathering her mother's recipes and putting them together into one book, and then she started cooking them. And she said that just reading her mother's handwritten notes, it makes her feel like she can hear her mother's voice reading those recipes to her. It's a beautiful story. I do that sometimes when I cook things that my mom taught me. Unless you're in the kitchen and you do certain things, you don't realize it, and these are the things that just kind of stuck with you <laughs> for the rest yeah, of your life. Yeah, you have that great. You have you have that great story in the book about how when your mom came to visit you from Malaysia, she had this huge suitcase, and you thought, "What is in this suitcase?" And it turned out it was filled with spices and all kinds of ingredients that she thought you would need to make proper Chinese slash Malaysian meals at home. And yeah. so I thought that was really cute. That's That story is in the book for everybody who's listening. It's story 38, and it's a wonderful story. Well, thank you for that. You're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. Our podcasts are available on Apple's iTunes, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, and TuneIn Radio. My guest is Amy Newmark, the publisher and editor-in-chief for Chicken Soup for the Soul. We're having a wonderful conversation about their latest release, Chicken Soup for the Soul, My Amazing Mom, a collection of 101 stories of love and appreciation, honoring mothers all around the world for their unconditional love. I'm your host, Johnny Tan. Chapter 5, My Role Model. This is a fantastic chapter itself. Just like mom, Terry Ann Conrad. So this is something that a lot of women are very familiar with. All those things that our mothers did and we swore we would never do them and now we're doing them. So in Terry's case, she was really embarrassed as a teenager because her mom loved to ride a motorcycle. And Terry would make her mom drop her off, you know, a block away from wherever mm -hmm. she was going so nobody would see her mom wearing her motorcycle leathers. And then... Terry grew up and became an editor of a motorcycle magazine and learned how to ride a motorcycle. And now she's so so thankful to her mother for introducing her to motorcycling. And that was a constant refrain in Chicken Soup for the Soul, My Amazing Mom. All these grown women confessing, I'm now doing the exact thing that I used to be embarrassed by my mom doing. <laughs> it's a beautiful story. It's a cute story. I rode motorcycles in Malaysia during my teenage years, and my mom pays me to be her taxi. That's why I chose this story, because I thought there was a wonderful link to it. <laughs> Chapter 6. The Sacrifices She Made, a Salute to the Mothers of Freedom by B.J. Gallagher. Well, I love this story by B.J., and I had really become sensitized to what the role of moms is in the military not just the moms who serve, but the mothers of the service members and also the military wives. And we made a book in 2017 called Chicken Soup for the Soul, Military Families. And that book really opened my eyes to the tremendous sacrifices that are made by military wives and military children also. And the service members are the ones who receive the, the awards, but the families really deserve awards also. And I guess that was a great example of me say, of what I said before, which is that when you read these stories, you meet people who you wouldn't otherwise meet. Because we have several million military service members in the United mm -hmm. States, and then those of us who are not related to them are not really as aware of the sacrifices that they make and I became aware of those because of working on that Military Families Chicken Soup for the Soul book. So BJ writes about how um, her mother was a military wife, and she said that her mother had to move their family 22 times in 31 years, over three continents, and through three wars. So she says dad was the one who wore the uniform, and mom was the one who wore the brave smile. 
and she said her mother never complained. She knew what she had signed up for, and she just took it all in stride. But it couldn't have been easy for a young mother to be alone with young children and living in all these foreign countries, sometimes with wars going on very nearby. And so she says that there should be medals for bravery awarded to the wives of our service members. And so she proposes that we give them their own medals called Mothers of Freedom. (laughs) I love it. This is strictly a salute to all our service family all over the world. Yeah, it's really important. I mean, my eyes were open to that. I think one of the things I love about this job, being the Mm -hmm. editor-in-chief of these books, is that I do broaden my mind so much because of meeting all of these people through their writing, because, of course, these Mm -hmm. are their very personal, revealing stories. And so I just learned so much about what goes on across the world, and particularly in the U.S. and Canada. I have a much greater understanding now of, Mm -hmm. you know, the other 350 million people who are out there. Right. And it's not out on prime news. That's the problem. So Outlets like you are the only places, I would think, that allows people to really read and understand the challenges that the military family faces. Well, there is a um, two days before Mother's Day. So Mother's Day is always on a Sunday. I think it's on May Mm -hmm. 13th this year. And I believe that May 11th is the day that we honor our um, military wives and military mothers. So there, There is that day, but I never knew about that day until I started working with the USO mm-hmm. on our Chicken Soup for the Soul book for military families. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Chapter 7, Special Memories, Morning Donuts by James Keenan. So this is so cute. James had a whole bunch of older sisters, and his mom would always go to the donut store on Saturday mornings. And then she would take the donuts and she would put them out on five plates for the five kids. And so there'd be these five little plates of powdered donuts. But James wanted all the donuts. So one morning (laughs) he ate his. He got up before everybody else. He ate his and he said to his mom, I want the rest of them. And his mom, I guess, probably thought he wouldn't do it. She said, well, if you want to eat the rest of them, you got to eat every single one so there's no evidence left for your sisters to see when they get get up. So he ate all of them, and it turned into a tradition. And he says that every Saturday from age 7 to 12, all the donuts every morning and had special time with his mother where they watched cartoons on TV, they played games, they read books. And it wasn't until he was 27 that he mentioned this to his sisters. (laughs) And his sisters, who were in their 30s, were furious. They had always wondered what had happened to their Saturday morning donuts because all of a sudden, they disappeared. <laughs> so I thought that was very funny. <laughs> it's a beautiful story. It reminded me of the time that I spent in the kitchen with my mom growing up. Like, say, my sister was like, no, no, I don't walk in the kitchen, okay? I am woman. We don't cook. <laughs> and I enjoyed being in the kitchen with my mom because I had a chance to taste all the food that she cooked firsthand way before everybody else had a chance to eat it. That was crafty of you. You were a hungry teenage boy. (laughs) And chapter eight, Thanks, Mom, My Eight Mothers by Well, I knew you were going to pick this one. I knew you would pick this one. (laughs) She's one less than mine. Thank goodness. (laughs) Yeah, well, yeah, you still have the record. Um, I think that Twink makes a really great point, and this is the same point that you make all the time, is that... Mm -hmm. Anybody can become a mother figure for you and be that nurturing person fulfilling that role. I mean, we have a verb where we say somebody's mothering somebody, and it doesn't have to be a mother. Anybody can mother somebody. So she talks about how she's standing in the greeting card section at the store, and she's looking for Mother's Day cards for her three daughters-in-law. And then she thinks, hmm, I've actually had eight women who have served as mothers in my life, which card would I pick out for each of them? And then she tells us about the eight mothers. So she talks about um, her, 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 reg- her mother originally, but her poor mother died from polio when Twink was only five years old. So then her grandmother raised her for a while. So that was 
her second mother. Then when she was in third grade, her dad remarried, and her stepmother Janice was her third mother. And then Janice was so busy and just really couldn't handle it all. And so um, Twink went off to live with her aunt, so her aunt became her fourth mother. And then she loved her mother's mother, Dee, and so that became her fifth mother. And then her sixth mother was Dee's best friend, and so Twink spent so many days at (laughs) Dee's house that she always gave Mother's Day cards to her grandmother, Dee, and to Dee's friend, Jan. And then when Twink got married, she got her wonderful mother-in-law, who she says is her seventh mom, And then, as a young bride, Twink moved into an apartment, and their landlady realized that Twink didn't know how to cook or clean. She was probably like your sister, and she avoided all of that. And so the landlady taught her how to do these things, and so she said the landlady became her eighth mom. It's just a beautiful story, isn't it? Because you allow yourself to be taught, loved, and counseled sometimes, and that's the beauty of it, of having the opportunity to meet all the wonderful women who are so nurturing in your life. I know you picked out this poem that we ended the book with because it is hard to say thank you. And so this is by a guy, of course, because Johnny picked out mostly stories by guys. (laughs) (laughs) And we had plenty of them for you in this book. And so this is by one of our very consistent um, contributors, Mark Rickerby, who really is in touch with his feelings. He lives in Southern California. He's a screenwriter. Um, So he is in touch with his feelings, although he still says in his poem that he doesn't really know how to express his feelings. And he says, I never write the things I should. He said, words sometimes fail me when emotions run too strong. So he crafted this poem to thank his mother for everything that she ever did for him. And so I thought it was nice. And you mm-hmm. were saying before that you could hand this book to your mom and say, read such and such a story. So this item 101, this poem called Thank You, Mom, would be a great one to point to and say, Mom, this is how I feel. Yep. Totally, totally agree. And that's the reason why I said sometimes it's very interesting. The word speaks louder than how you're going to be able to present it. Let the book do the talking and it will work just fine. What are some of your favorite stories? Oh, my gosh, I have so many, and I've been highlighting many of them on the Chicken Soup for the Soul podcast, mm-hmm. um, which is available on you know, Apple, iTunes, it's on Google Play, it's on all the normal places, mm-hmm. um, and it's called Chicken Soup for the Soul with Amy Newmark. And so if you want to hear some of these stories brought to life, you can listen because I have recorded a whole bunch of podcasts where I talk about these stories, and I'm going to be recording more of them uh, for April. And Mm -hmm. so one of the stories I love was by this woman, Ronnie, who was going for her first job interview. She was a senior in college, and she was really excited. She got her suit. She got her, her first briefcase. And then there was bad weather, and she got stranded in the Atlanta airport. She was flying from, I think, the Northeast down to Florida, but she had to connect in Atlanta. And she missed her connecting flight to Florida, and she thought, oh, no, my interview, oh, I can't even get there on time. I'm not going to get the job. But she called them, and they said, no, no, we'll get you a hotel room in Atlanta. Just just stay overnight in Atlanta and come in the morning. It will be fine. She gets to Atlanta. She calls the hotel to come and pick her up, you know, with the shuttle bus. And the hotel says, oh, we gave your room away. Somebody else (laughs) took it already. So there she is at, you know, midnight in the Atlanta airport, 22 years old, not knowing what to do. And all of a sudden her cell phone rings. It's her grandmother. And she thinks, why is my grandmother calling me at midnight? And her grandmother says, Ronnie, are you in the Atlanta airport? Well, Ronnie hadn't told her grandmother that any of this was going on. It turned out her grandmother had been flying back from Oklahoma to Orlando, Florida, And her flight had been diverted to Atlanta. And so she had gotten a hotel room because she had been about to board her flight. She got diverted to Atlanta. She got a flight to Orlando. She could have left that night. She was boarding the flight when she got this weird feeling 
that her granddaughter was somewhere in the airport, and so she actually got off the flight, said to them at the gate, can you just put me on a flight tomorrow? I don't think I should take this flight tonight. Got a hotel room and then called her granddaughter. And Ronnie said, yeah, I am in the Atlanta airport. I cannot believe that you knew that I was here. (laughs) And so she went and stayed with her grandmother in her hotel room and then flew to her job interview the next morning and got the job. Fantastic. Wonderful story. Are there any other stories that you like? Well, I loved one by um, Doran, who is one of our regular writers, Mm -hmm. and she wrote about how her mother was always encouraging her to try knitting and crocheting when she was growing up, and Doran absolutely refused and wouldn't even (laughs) wear the things that her mother knit for her. And then finally, Doran became a mother, and all of a sudden, knitting and crocheting looked fabulous to her, and she... (laughs) put on the stuff her mother had made for her, and she started knitting and crocheting, and she confessed to her mom, I guess I have turned into you, and I love knitting and crocheting now. And, of course, as a mom of grown children, I love anything like that that says, Mom, you were right. (laughs) It's a beautiful, beautiful story. Well, as we end the show, what recipes for living would you like to share with our listeners this morning? I think that we all go through life, you know, trying our best to do things and not knowing if it's appreciated. And so I think it's interesting to see that in this book, mothers are appreciated and we can learn from that, that we're appreciated in other parts of our lives as well. So what I did was I made a list of five things that children actually know about their mothers, but never told them before. And so one is that mothers really do know best. Another is that moms really do have an uncanny ability to know us better than we know ourselves. Mm -hmm. Another is that moms really are our most important role models. And then another one, and this was like the Doran Weber story about (laughs) taking up knitting, it's no matter how much we protest, we will end up acting like our mothers. And then finally, we do eventually notice our mother's sacrifices. We had a story from a woman named Elaine Onley who came home one night from a party and her mother had provided her with a new dress for the party and she got a glimpse of this ragged nightgown that her mother had on under her robe. She had never known what her mother wore under her robe before. And when she saw this ragged nightgown that was just a rag and you know should have been thrown away and had obviously been mended many times but still had rips and and holes in it, she realized all the sacrifices her mother was making so that she, Elaine, would have nice clothes. And meanwhile, her mother had always hidden this raggedy nightgown under her robe. And so to me, those are great recipes for life, even for people who are not mothers. The fact that there are people out there who really are noticing what you're doing and are appreciating you, even if they're not actually telling you with words. So true. I really like that. And that chapter about sacrifices, that actually, it's it's something that you really don't know when you look back and then you realize that how much your mom sacrificed herself for you and for the family. So it's just terrific. Well, Amy, thank you for the great recipes for living and for spending this hour with me on From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. To all our listeners, please join me next Tuesday morning, April 3rd. My guest will be Marie Jogopoulos. She is an intuitive messenger, spiritual teacher, and a rapid transformational therapy practitioner. Marie and I will be having a conversation about how rapid transformational therapy assists clients in the reconditioning of their subconscious mind and in creating new healthy imprints so that the client can live a life free from illness, dysfunction, addiction, or struggle of any kind. This will be a special 90 minutes show. For additional information about this show and future shows, please go to fmmktalkradio.com. Thank you for listening and have a blessed week. As always, Amy, it has been a true pleasure. Thank you again and have a blessed day. Oh, thanks so much. Okay, bye.
cleanup, and I just can't wait to have the whole family in one place. And, of course, what's Easter without an awesome Easter brunch? Now, I don't know about your family, but mine is a little picky, and I really wanted to impress them with something delicious. A friend told me I should check out Total Wine and More. It was crazy. They must have every wine, beer, and spirit imaginable. I told one of their friendly experts my situation, and they found me just the thing. This sparkling wine is going to be absolutely perfect for brunch, even with my picky family. I know next time I need something, I'm shopping at Total Wine and More. 